Amen. Okay, does everybody have a bolt or a nut? If you don't have a bolt or a nut, would you raise your hand and we'll distribute bolts and nuts, Andrew, right? I don't have one, so bring one down here. That'd be great. Okay, I can't, I can't, you know, I'm not, I'm not a baseball player. Just messing. All right, thank you. You gave me a nut, what does that mean? Yeah. Anyway, uh, let's pray. Should we pray? Father, thank you for uh, your sanctuary where you dwell with us and in us. And Lord, this morning I pray that you would help us, not, not just me, but help us to preach. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, you know, since uh, September, we've been preaching through the book of Ephesians. And since the new year, Ephesians 4, 1 through 16, and I left these things up here on the communion table to help, you remember, help remind you of what we've been talking about. Earthen vessels, one earthen vessel full of earth, one earthen vessel emptied of itself, and one earthen vessel uh, filled with wine, and a bunch of earthen vessels uh, put together making our PVC Frankenchrist. And, uh, you know, we've been uh, learning what Paul told us really at the very start of Ephesians. In Ephesians 1, verse 10, he wrote, this is the plan for the fullness of time, to unite under one wounded head, anakephalio, to unite in Christ all things. And Christ is already uniting us, his church. And yet hardly anyone seems to really believe that or get the, the picture. And, and of course, that might be expected because it's more than we could even ask or imagine. Chapter 3, verse 20. Hey, why don't you, let's stand up for the reading of the word. Let's do that this morning, okay? And that this will that'll help you focus, okay? Because uh, what Paul is saying seems to be more than we can ask or, or imagine. Ephesians 3, verse 20. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or could imagine. According to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations forever and ever, amen. I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore it says, when he ascended on high, he led captivity captive, and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he had also descended into the lower parts of the earth. He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. 
And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we, the all, arrive at, number one, the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God. His faith and his knowledge, what the first Adam didn't have, right? Knowledge of the good and faith in the good. Second, to the finish, teleon man. Remember, on the tree, Jesus cried to telestai. It is finished. Same, same word, teleon man. To the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. And remember that we are the fullness of him who fills all in all. Like creation is filled and finished in him, in us. And that was the assignment, remember, given to that Adam on the, on the sixth day of creation, have dominion over creation, verse 14, so that we may no longer be children, tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of teaching, by human cunning, by craftiness, and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is supplied when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do. And that's amazing because Paul is talking to Gentiles right now as if they're Jews and he's referring to unbelievers as Gentiles and he already told us that Christ has broken down the dividing wall between uh, the Jews and uh, the Gentiles making one man in place of two. You must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are dark in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous, apogeo, like a, a wound that's scabbed over, you know, it's unable to feel, it's unable to bleed. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity, but that's not the way you learned Christ. Assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him, as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self, literally old man, old anthropos in Greek, if you said it in Hebrew, it would be old Adam, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self, literally the new man, the new anthropon, the new Adam, created after the likeness of of God, the image of God, created after the likeness of God, in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor. For we are members, one of another. We. And he's been talking about Jews, Gentiles, believers, unbelievers, members. Can you imagine that? Well, go ahead and sit down. Verse, verse 24, he said, put on the new man, the new man. What's that? The, the Greek in the, in the sentence is really simple. So the old King James and the NIS, they all translate it, put on the new man, just like it says. But a lot of the more modern translations translate it something like put on the new nature or the new self, as if the self was somehow fixing the self, as if I am salvation or we are salvation rather than God is salvation. It's like we, we can't seem to imagine God is, is salvation. L last Sunday before church, I got up kind of early and 
and nothing was really on TV, so I watched a little religious TV. The preacher was and, and is probably the most popular preacher in America today. His church is like a, the building is a former sports arena, and, and he was talking about how each person needs to imagine their own future, you know, imagining themselves as blessed and prosperous and, and happy, uh, like he had imagined that successful church. And then he said this, the book of Genesis says, and nothing they imagined was impossible for them. I thought, well, that sounds familiar. And so I looked it up in the King James. The word imagine appears three times in the King James. The first two, God is referring to the fact that the imagination of men, he observes, is nothing but evil from their youth. The third time, which the pastor was quoting, described the builders of the Tower of Babel. Because nothing they imagined was impossible for them. Because they imagined nothing but evil, death and hell, because they imagined that their tower was salvation, because they imagined that they were salvation, God came down and busted up the tower and scrambled all their language. It appears that's why he kicked the first Adam and, and Eve out of the garden. They had imagined that they could create themselves in the image of God with the knowledge of good and evil. They had imagined, I am salvation. And so they could no longer imagine God is salvation. And I hope you know that the phrase God is salvation, Yahweh Yasha, is a name in Hebrew. Yahashua, Joshua. In English, Jesus. Paul teaches us in several places that Jesus is the last Adam, the eschatos Adam, that's the, the finished Adam, the perfected Adam, the ultimate Adam. Eschatos Adam means Superman. Genesis one, at the sixth day, God said, let us make Adam in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over creation. Well, Jesus is called the finished Adam. He's also referred to as the firstborn of all creation, firstborn from the dead, which means before Christ, none of us, none were, were fully created, and all were dead. Jesus is the Adam that we were all slated to be on the sixth day of creation. The first Adam imagined, I am creator. I am salvation. The eschatos Adam is named God is salvation. Can you imagine? Theologian James Whitehead says this, faith is the enduring ability to imagine life in a certain way. Jesus had perfect faith in his father. He imagined life. We have faith in ourselves and imagine Death. We imagine our own self-centered kingdom. We imagine hell. 
Paul writes, put on the new man created as if we're not created. Did you catch that? Put on the new man created, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. In Romans, Paul quotes Isaiah saying, none is righteous, no, not one. In the Revelation, all the new creation sings, you, O Lord, you alone are holy. And, and so this, this new man that Paul is talking about is, is like a God-man. And he has been created. He has been finished. And we are like not created and not finished. Yet Ephesians 1.4, Paul told us that we were chosen in him before the foundation of the world to be finished. Righteous, holy. Well, we can't imagine God is salvation because we imagine we are salvation. We can't imagine Jesus because we imagine ourselves. We imagine that we're finished. We imagine that we are already created, fully created, and so we can't imagine being created in the image of God. And so we imagine that we are the measure of all things. And so we imagine that our perception of space and time is the norm, and so we assume that creation happened a long, long uh, time ago, and, and time itself has no end. We, we imagine something like this, see? That the seven days of creation happened a long, long, long time ago, and that time is endless. But if we read Genesis and the rest of Scripture carefully, I think we'll find something more like this, that just as time had a beginning, it also has an end. And God, who is I am, is not a thing on the timeline that he created. And from the perspective of Genesis 1, our universe is only about six days old. Because man is created on this sixth day and hasn't it become abundantly clear and doesn't scripture testify to the fact that we are not yet fully created? Still being created, still being saved. Now this is actually beside the point, yet I think it's incredibly fascinating, but some physicists argue that from the standpoint of the Big Bang, at the moment, uh, the standpoint of, of light being emitted at, at the Big Bang, because time is, is relative, and that's not just a theory anymore, but, but we know that, because time is relative, our, our universe, from that standpoint, uh, standpoint of creation is actually and scientifically about six days old. Science now says it. The Bible has always said it. Well, time as we know it comes to an end at the seventh day somehow. Not, not exactly clear on all the details of that, but the seventh day. In Genesis, on the seventh day, everything, everything is good and nothing is bad. In the Revelation, at the seventh seal, seventh trumpet, and seventh bolt, sky rolls up. God's wrath comes to an end. The new Jerusalem descends upon a new heaven and a new earth. J Jesus, you know, was crucified on the sixth day of the week and, and appeared just after the seventh. According to Paul and the New Testament, Jesus Christ, crucified and risen from the dead, is the syntelios, the full end of the ages, the end of the ages, the perfection of the ages. Jesus is the edge of time and eternity. 
And you remember what Jesus said? I am the end. And yet, the end was revealed to us in like 33 AD. You skipped a slide there. Go back one. There you go. 33 AD, the, the end. Uh, the end was revealed on the cross as Jesus cried, it is finished. And, and check this out. The eschatos Adam cried, it is finished as he hung on a tree in a garden on the sixth day. And he is the life. And he is the revelation of, of the good. At that tree, we come to know the good. And at that tree, we receive life. No man is completed in the image and likeness of God until he's finished in Christ through the cross and enters God's rest. The seventh day, when and where everything, everything, everything is, is good and nothing is bad. To confess Christ is to surrender your own creation, <laughs> this life that I have made. Uh, to confess Christ is to surrender your own creation to God's creation. It's to surrender your judgment to God's judgment. It's to surrender your ego and confess Jesus. It's to surrender I am salvation and confess God is salvation. It's to surrender the old man and to put on the new man. And it's more than I could ever ask or imagine because he is my new imagination. It's more than I can choose because he is my new chooser. More than I can simply will because he is my new will. It's his faith rising in me that saves me, creates me, and finishes me in, in the image of God. Paul wrote, the last Adam became a life-giving spirit. Without the gift of his spirit, I imagine only evil. I imagine myself, my kingdom, my tower. I, I, I imagine hell, and I'm, and I'm stuck there in space and time. But with his spirit, I begin to imagine life. I begin to imagine God is salvation, who, who is Jesus, the eschatos Adam, the Superman. We, the church, are his body, broken and dispersed at the cross, but now rising and being unified in space and time. Now, I'd love to discuss all of that in detail, and in fact, I really wrote a book on a lot of that. You can get on the website called Epiphany, and I'd like to write um, some more books, and to back it all up, we could quote extensively from guys like Karl Barth and Hans von Balthasar and Pope John Paul II and a whole slew of theologians, most of the early church fathers, Albert Einstein, Werner Heisenberg, the world of contemporary physics, we could do all of that, or, we could just like watch the greatest movie ever made. 14 years ago, I took my kids to it and at the end, I just couldn't stop crying for joy. The Iron Giant. That missile is targeted to the giant's current position. Where's the giant, Mansley? What? Oh. It's a missile. When it comes down, 
everyone will die. There it is! <laughs> saw the movie, you uh, know that the iron giant descended from the heavens, and it becomes clear, it comes clear soon that he's capable of Armageddon, but he befriends a lonely boy without a father named Hogarth. The principalities and powers, the world rules are, world rulers, they're, they're terrified of the iron giant, and so they try to nuke the iron giant, but nuking the iron giant is just nuking themselves. The giant says to Hogarth, where I'm going, you cannot follow. No following now. It's actually just what Jesus says to his disciples in John chapter 13. And he says that he must go in order to send his spirit. Ascended, lifted up on the cross, he surrenders his spirit. 1 Corinthians 15, Paul wrote, the first Adam became a living being, the eschatos Adam became a life-giving spirit. No one took his life from him. He freely chose to give his life for the sins of the world. He freely chose the good, and he is the good. He freely chose. He chose what we alone cannot choose. He chose to be the Superman. He is the perfected Adam who freely chose the good. And God is the good. And God is love. He chose love in freedom, and that's called faith. And we are saved by his faith, and that's life. Our choice, our judgment, the decision of our old man is, I am salvation. His choice, his judgment, the decision that is the new man is, Yahweh is salvation. That choice in flesh is Jesus. And we are his body, according to Paul. Ultimately, ultimately, we are who Jesus chose to be. Imagine that. Well, anyway, the body of the iron giant is broken. 
And the peace has reigned down all over the earth. He ascended and descended. Ephesians 4, Jesus descended and descended in order to fill all things. Romans 5, the love of Christ has been poured out, shed abroad in our hearts through the Spirit. 1 Corinthians 15, the eschatos Adam has become, he became a life-giving Spirit. What is it? He said it was the only part recovered. He thought you should have it. I miss him. Hopefully you have a, a bolt or a nut that you were handed at the door. Would you just take that out now? Take it out of your pocket and, and just look at it for a minute. W- when you find a, a nut or a bolt, like lying on the floor in your, in your living room, what do you think about? What, what do you imagine? What? What? Yeah, wh- where did this come from? Where does, where does this uh, thing go? And, and what do you do? You put it in, in your pocket because you think to yourself, you know, just, just one little bolt off of the vacuum cleaner and the whole thing busts down and I might as well throw it away, right? Oh, just one loose nut on the space shuttle. And billions of dollars and several human lives are lost in, in the void. When you find a nut on the floor, you wonder, where does it go? You imagine the thing to which it belongs. You imagine the thing that gives it meaning. But now, what if you'd never seen a machine? What if you were like some Stone Age tribesman from Papua New Guinea or something? And you found a bolt or, or, or a nut. I mean, I mean you, you'd probably think, wow, that is really, that's amazing. It's hard and shiny. I mean, you might even turn it into an idol, right? But you wouldn't imagine that it was a thing designed for another thing, a far better thing. Well, you know, I've been talking about spiritual gifts since Christmas, alluding to them, and the fact that you yourself are a gift. In Romans and 1 Corinthians, Paul lists all sorts of spiritual gifts, from speaking in tongues to, to healing, to administration, to gifts of help, to giving, and they're each empowered by the Spirit. It's like uh, the Spirit takes the form of the earthen vessel into which it's poured. Like wine takes the form of the earthen vessel into which it is poured. Like liquid gold or iron or steel uh, takes the form of the earthen vessel into which it's poured. And by the way, that's probably how they would make a piece of hardware. A blacksmith would make a piece of hardware in, in Jesus' day and then they'd throw away the earthen vessel and uh, that chunk of iron, that hardware would be, well, it would like last forever. Well, anyway, each of you have a nut or a bolt. And I'm saying you also have a gift. And you are a gift, a gift that's like that nut or the bolt in your hand or in, in your pocket. You can make an idol out of that nut or that bolt. 
or you can dream about where it belongs, the thing that gives it meaning. You know, there are churches that are really only about one gift, like teaching. I don't want to be one of those churches. That's like a bag of bolts, all the same size. Now, there are churches that are all about the gift of tongues. That's like a bowl of nuts, all the same size. <laughs> there are churches all about finding your gift, your gift, your gift, your gift. And so they, they worship hardware, like nuts and bolts, as if they were idols, and forget to ask, what are these nuts and bolts for? What if your bolt is actually an integral part of the iron giant? What if your gift is actually an integral part of the eschatos Adam? And what would it mean to put the new man on? And I wonder how many people have a bolt in their pocket, a piece of Christ in their pocket. You know, Scripture says that he's the light that enlightens all men. He is the logos, he's the meaning, he's the, the reason, he's the word that creates and sustains all things, the way, the truth, the life, the revelation of life. I wonder how many people, how many earthen vessels have got like a little love in their pocket, a, l- a little light in their pocket, a-, a little truth in their pocket, or just an empty space longing for truth. and they don't know where it came from. They don't know where it belongs. You know, scripture mentions that the lamb was slain from the foundation of the world, and Paul says it was then that we were chosen in him, slain from the foundation of the world, and slain on a tree in a garden, and Jesus says, I am the beginning and the end, the beginning and the end. Paul reveals that his cross is like the boundary between space-time as we experience it and eternity. So when the Superman died, how far did the pieces fall? Paul told us he, he descended into the lower parts of the earth that he might fill all things. And this is the plan for the fullness of time. He fills time with meaning. The pieces fall through all space and time. And now I really want you to hear me. I I believe that there's a hell. There's a Hades, there's a Sheol, there's an outer darkness, and, and it's on this timeline. And I believe that people go there. From scripture, we know that people like Jonah, Samuel, Saul, David, they, they all went there. But why would you want anyone to remain there? For perhaps they have a bolt in their pocket. And if just just one bolt is is missing, the whole machine suffers. If just one part of your body is missing, the, the whole body suffers. David writes, if I make my bed in hell, you're there. Jesus said, whatever you do to the least of these, you do it unto me, as if he would not leave them nor forsake them. Maybe his presence is is like the empty space in which that piece of the new man is formed. You know, God breathed his breath into every lump of clay that we call a person. 
Maybe his breath, that is his spirit, forms the void in every earthen vessel, the void into which that piece of the eschatos atom is, is, is made, it's formed, it's forged. Or maybe that piece is hidden under miles of earth and death and, and hell. Maybe that piece needs to be refined by the eternal fire, but maybe God in Christ Jesus will form a bolt in everyone's pocket. 1 Corinthians 15, 22. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ will all be made alive. Verse 45, the first Adam became a living being. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. Verse 49, just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, the man of earth, we shall bear the image of the man of heaven, the eschatos man, the superman. Well, anyway, you got a bolt. You got a nut in your hand or your pocket. What do you imagine? What do you dream? That's the part, the end, where I just couldn't seem to stop crying. Because I began to realize, hey, maybe everyone has a bolt in their pocket. Maybe you are the bolt in your pocket. Paul wrote, it's no longer I who live, that old earthen vessel, but Christ in me. And then who is the church? Well. We are those that are beginning to put the new man on, connected to the head, connected to each other. You each have a bolt or, or a nut of various sizes, various, various colors, and you are a bolt or, knight of, uh, or nut of various sizes and, and various colors. Some of you are holding a wing nut. <laughs> I don't know what that means. <laughs> but you all belong to the body of the Superman. And Paul writes that God has given apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers for equipping all of us for building up the body. Apostles are people that are sent out to start a work. Prophets are people with prophetic gifts. We have a prophetic team. They're people that I have grown to trust in, in their gifting, who've worked hard at speaking the truth and speaking it in love. And you can make an appointment to have them pray for you. The details are in the S News. 
And God may use them to reveal gifts in you, purposes in you. Evangelists, uh, well, that literally means good news announcer. I I think I'm probably one of those, serving gospel soup to the body of Christ. Pastors lead sheep. They get the body connected. Teachers teach uh, what a bolt does, what a nut does. They may have a, a class for nuts, And they may have a class for bolts. But the purpose is putting them all together. Francis is a pastor. Andrew, I think he's a nut, but I think he's also a pastor. Amen. Amen. (laughs) But you see, these gifts, these gifts are for helping all of us use our gifts and so build up the body of Christ. For five sermons now, I keep thinking I'm gonna talk about the nuts and bolts of spiritual gifts. I got lots of books on it, I've taught lessons on it. I, I put together a sheet on it that was handed to you at the door along with your nut or your bolt. And I really want you to read the sheet, but not now, so put it down. It's what I think is most important to say about gifts of the Spirit. It's what I want most to say about the nuts and bolts. But I keep coming back to this realization, and that is that nuts and bolts are rather pointless without some imagination as to what they do and what they're for. And so what are they for? What are we for? What is our church, the sanctuary for. Because you see, our church is part of a much bigger church that's part of the eschatos Adam. You know, I think if we trust that we save rather than God saves, relying on our own imagination, we'll, we'll build the Tower of Babel. One giant edifice with all the bricks just the same. But when we trust that God is salvation, that is Jesus, he sends his spirit. Like at Pentecost. And you remember what the spirit did at Pentecost? It undid the curse upon the Tower of Babel and it began to build the church into into the body. Not what we can build with our knowledge of God, but what God does build by knowing us. His bride, his, his body. Last week, speaking about the fact that we become his body and we bleed his blood, I said, if it be God's will, our body is to be broken and our blood is to be shed for the lost. Now, I don't think the sanctuary is about to be broken, but I've been part of a church that has been broken. And it's made this chunk of scripture incredibly difficult for me to preach, painful for me to preach. But then last week or the week before, as we were preaching about the body, I remembered a prophetic word. It was a vision given to me by a a woman years ago. And I think I understood it for the first time. It was given to me by this, this friend in 2005 when my church felt like it could use a professional sports arena to house all the people. She writes this. I received two visions. The first to you and the second to the church. I saw you in a soup kitchen serving soup. It looked very nutritious, but not very appealing. You know, the idea that God is salvation is very offensive to the idea that we are salvation. A 
offensive to the institutional church. Well, I was serving soup. And she writes, there was a line of poor and hungry people coming for the soup. Then all at once you stopped and you, and you saw a man, a man with no arms and no legs on a board and you realized it was Jesus. She describes the scene and the communication. I said, oh Jesus, I, I'm sorry I didn't see you when everyone looked the same. You realize it was Jesus and then she writes, you fed him the soup. I fed his incomplete body the soup. And then she writes, as you fed him the soup, his body began to grow, arms and legs. And then he whispered in your ear, he whispered, Peter, this is my body. Feed my body. Peter, they can't feed themselves with their own hands. Their hands were made for feeding others, not themselves. Love them, Peter, because you love me. Hold them because you hold me. You cannot love them if you don't see me in each one, in my body my bride and then the second vision she wrote it was like a storm she describes this crazy storm a tornado and it hit the church she says she saw body parts flying everywhere with no sense of direction no stability Uh, she was looking for some sort of stability and then she saw the cross it was stable and then the wind the wind the wind blew the parts into the cross nailing them there in the form of Jesus and blood, blood began to flow from each part. She wrote, it formed a river and the river seemed bottomless. And then she heard Jesus say, this is my mercy, poured out for all my creation. Let my mercy flow from you. He said some more things to the church and then he said, "Um, receive comfort for your pain. And then she heard Isaiah 54, sing, O barren one who did not bear, break forth into singing and cry aloud, you who have not been in labor, for the children of the desolate one will be more than the children of her who is married. Enlarge enlarge the place of your tent, don't hold back. You can read the rest of Isaiah 54 when you get home, but it's it's a scripture that like at least four different people on four different occasions had had given to me around that time saying this is for you and then later this is for us. We see I think that vision is a perfect description of the painful birth of the sanctuary. We the church We, the church, the institutional church, we imagine that we alone are his body. And so we only see ourselves and imagine what we can do. But the body is incomplete and we each get callous. And so God sends a storm and God does some cutting. It was God that destroyed old Jerusalem, you know that? And scattered the early church to the ends of the earth until the new Jerusalem would come down from heaven. We imagine that we alone are his body because we alone choose to be his body and so our imagination is far too small. We may be impressed with our nuts and bolts, but we need to start dreaming of the eschatos Adam. See, I think we've been called to speak to the church, the whole church, and we're to say, you are the body of Christ. We are the body of Christ, but our dreams are too small. 
We dream of ourselves and, and we dream of what we can do and so our dreams are too small, our imagination is too small. I think we're supposed to feed the body of Christ some imagination soup. Just imagine, our God is so great that he is uniting all things in Christ Jesus just like the Apostle Paul said he would. And it's not just a possibility. It's not just a possibility, it's a reality. He has already risen from the dead in his body, his eternal and incorruptible body of which we are. Can you even begin to imagine? On that night that we all betrayed him, he took bread and he broke it saying, this is my body given to you. Take and eat. Do it in remembrance of me. And in the same way, after supper and having given thanks, he took the cup and he said, this cup is the covenant in my blood poured out for the forgiveness of sins. Drink of it, all of you. Do it in remembrance of me. And so he calls you to his table. And we invite you to tear off a piece of the bread and dip it in the cup. The dark cups are wine, the light cups are juice. And it's a great honor and privilege for me to serve you our Lord's imagination soup. <laughs> Believe it. Live it. In Jesus' name, amen. And so, Lord God, we pray that you would rain down on us, that your spirit would rain down on us. And Lord Jesus, we're beginning to see what it costs you, that you would give up your spirit to the Father who would send your spirit, the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God, to inhabit us and move in us and motivate us. Holy Spirit, we invite you. We ask you to fill this place. We thank you for the gifts that you have given us. Lord, I know of so many amazing, wonderful gifts in this body from strange and unusual sorts of gifts to the, to the ones that we see more commonly to, to sweeping the floor and they're all um, motivated by you. So Holy Spirit, would you... Um, would you inhabit us? And, and we know that you're here. Thank you for being here. I guess I'm asking that you would fill us and keep on filling us. Um, baptize us. Move in us. Cause us to bump into each other and, and figure out how these body parts, uh, the parts of the eschatos Adam begin to fit together. Connect us to the head and connect us to each other. And Holy Spirit, most of all, would you help us to dream? Scripture says that you glorify Jesus. And so, Lord, with our gifts, with the things you create in us, would you help us to glorify Jesus uh, as, his, as his body? And so, Holy Spirit, thank you for this body. Make us into what you want us to be. In Jesus' name, amen. And now, um, I want you to, oh, here it is. See, I let it go. I want you to hang on to your bolt or nut for a while, okay? And you can just keep it in your pocket or your wallet or your purse. And every now and then, just take it out when you have a moment and just imagine. 
Just dream about what gives this meaning. Dream about the eschatos Adam who gives, who gives you meaning. And, and now one last thing. If you wonder in all of this, okay, why did God do it this way? Because see, I think most people think that God is up there trying to figure out what we're gonna do as if he doesn't know, right? Like he's just, he just doesn't get it or something. Well, why did God do it this way? I mean, that, that we would be part way made and, and then he'd give us a, a piece of him. Why would he do it this way? I don't know exactly. But have you ever built something like with your dad? Have you ever done that? When you were a kid, when you were a kid, you built something with your dad? And if you did that, and not everybody did, but if you did that, wasn't the thing that you built um, that much better because you built it with your dad? Didn't you enjoy it just that much more because you and your dad built it? You know, in Genesis, God says, let us make man, Adam, in our own image and likeness, let us. Who's he talking to? As scholars say, well, that's a plural of majesty or something. They debate that. I always thought, well, maybe he's talking to Jesus, you know. But maybe he's talking to his body. I mean, maybe he's talking to you. Let us make Adam. Maybe he wants you to share his joy forever in Jesus' name. Can you imagine that? We'll try. And the Holy Spirit will help you. In Jesus' name, believe the gospel. Amen.